With COVID-19 around, telehealth lets you see your physician while keeping you safe at home. If you have questions, we're here to help. Stay safe, take care of each other, and use telehealth. We're UHA Health. Aloha, folks, and welcome to UHA's Connecting the Dots podcast. I'm Kanoi Gibson of Hi Now, and we'll be connecting the dots with some of UHA's doctors and other guests on various health and wellness topics and tips. Connecting the Dots starts now. Well, do you want to adopt a healthier lifestyle, but find that you just can't seem to stick with new habits once your initial burst of motivation fades? Well, I tell you what, you are not alone. And today we are connecting the dots on resilience, motivating lasting change with award-winning motivation scientist and best-selling author, Dr. Michelle Seeger. Now, Dr. Seeger directs the University of Michigan's Sport Health and Activity Research and Policy Center, and has spent almost 30 years studying how to create systems that support sustainable, healthy behaviors among individuals and organizations. Dr. Seeger, aloha. Aloha. It's great to be here. It is great to have you. Thank you so much for joining us, taking the time, I'm sure, out of your very busy schedule. Um, You know, before we even start talking about motivation, I I would like to know and let our listeners know a little bit about your book. It's called No Sweat, How the Simple Science of Motivation Can Bring You a Lifetime of Fitness. I love this. Thanks. So the book represents 20 years of work that I did. So it was published um, a little bit ago. Uh, It represents about 20 years of work that I did as a health coach, working with individuals and helping them change behaviors like exercise so that they can sustain it, as well as the academic research that I did to complement that. So it it offers insights into the specific how-tos for people who don't like exercise, but they wish they did, or want to adopt a healthy lifestyle in a way that they can sustain long-term. Well, no wonder you are the person we are talking to today when we speak about motivation. You know, here we are about four months into the new year. I'm sure a lot of people have fallen off the bandwagon. I know I have. Uh, So when you talk about motivation or willpower with that running low, uh, what can we do at this point now to keep moving? Well, the first thing to think about is to consider why you decided to start four months ago, you know, at New Year's. It's such a common thing to do. I'm going to change my behavior and I'm going to do it right now. But I think of that as being in a motivation bubble. When we initiate a behavior change, for example, when it's New Year's or it's a month before a wedding or uh, an important event that that we're going to, and the key to lasting change or, in fact, to change that doesn't last is our primary reason for initiating a behavior change. So we've got to get really clear about what those reasons were and whether they're actually helping us to stay motivated or whether they're shooting us in the foot. Right. Okay. So this is kind of finding the why behind your goals or your resolutions. I mean, I feel like the why is the new resolution. People always talk about their why nowadays, right? Absolutely. It's become a concept. I think that's underlying a lot of a lot of behaviors and a lot of change because and 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 there's a really good reason why that's true and it's that research shows that our whys or our primary reasons for doing something is the foundation for what happens next it has a domino effect so we do have to care deeply about whether we have the right whys or the wrong whys And are there, I mean, are some whys or goals better than others? I mean, do they need to be specific? How how are we going to be able to keep to these goals? How specific do they need to be? Well, 
it, de it depends which level of goal you're talking about. So um, when I talk about goals and whys, what I'm referring to is the, the kind of the overarching reason. So for example, is it, are you wanting to exercise because you want to lose weight? Are you wanting to exercise because you just left your doctor's office and they you're afraid because they told you you're, you know, you're in the pre-diabetic category and you better change things right now if you don't want to enter that category? Or is your why because you haven't been sleeping well and your energy is low? And so those those different whys, that's, so those aren't about being necessarily setting specific goals. Those are about your primary reasons. And that's what I'm talking about when I mean those have important implications. Um, yeah. Okay. I okay. I love that. And in your experience at, at being this type of coach, what are some of the roadblocks that you have seen for people who are trying to have this sustainable change? Sure. So I would say there's two types of primary roadblocks. And the first one is related to motivation. And as we were just talking about, if people's reasons for change, especially if they're, it's very counterintuitive, but research shows that when we're attempting to initiate a change, for example, for exercising more, and we're doing it to lose weight, that gets people to start exercising, but it doesn't um, fuel lasting high quality motivation. So that's a big reason that prevents sustainable change. But the other reason is that people set goals that are a little grandiose in terms of, let's call them plans instead of goals to differentiate mm -hmm. them. So every week, let's say I've decided I, you know, again, let's go back. It's New Year's. I'm going to lose weight and I'm going to, I'm going to plan to exercise five days a week for 45 minutes. So that plan, that very specific concrete plan actually can get in people's ways because if something comes up and we can't do one of those 45 minute sessions, for example, we feel like a failure and that often puts people in a downward spiral. So it's mm. those two things that are the biggest. I'm not motivated is hiding by is a smokescreen for I'm actually my why is not very compelling and it's not fueling high quality motivation or I don't have enough time and that often means I set goals and I'm I'm trying to rigidly follow them but they're actually too too they're too big and they're too perfect and my life can't support them so those are the two biggest reasons I would say people don't stick with it over time Okay, got it. Now you speak about performance goals and learning goals. What are these? What are what is the difference between them? Well, I'm 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 calling from a couple of um, other people's research when I talk about these two categories. One is Carol Dweck's, and the other is Locke and Latham. Um, um, and so, basically, those two groups of goals refer to two different classes, and the the performance goal refers to something that's very fixed. That's a, it's a bullseye. So I am trying to achieve boom. Remember when I said, let's, let's call those five days a week at 45 minutes plans. It's that type mm -hmm. of thing. I must achieve a very specific criterion to be successful. Um, I got to hit the bullseye. But let's contrast that with something that could be thought of as a learning goal or a growth goal. And that's that's more interested in the how I can get better at something. So a way to differentiate from the other type of goal could be, you know what, 
I'm trying to exercise more regularly, or I'm trying to eat more fruits and vegetables on a daily basis. I, instead of saying I have to eat five fruits and vegetables every day, I'm going to say, you know what, anywhere from one to, to six, I'm going to consider that a success because I'm just trying to get better at that. So that's a way to differentiate those two things. Okay. And do you find that one works better over the other, or does it work best when those two things are kind of a hybrid system? Um, wow. Is that a fantastic question? So there's a couple of answers. The first answer is that to some extent, this taps into personality differences. So mm. I'm going to give you a, an a, a very real example. And I'm going to talk about the difference between my husband and myself. My husband is a very disciplined, get up every morning at 5.30 and exercise for an hour. He is going to do that every day, no matter what that success, and he's going to achieve it. And he does achieve it because of the type of personality he has. Mm -hmm. I'm the kind of person who needs a little more flexibility. And so that's the first answer is that we have differences when it comes to just how we live our lives. That's number one. Um, number two, the other issue is what does our lifestyle support? So for example, if someone has, um, five kids for, and their lives are very hectic and there's a lot of unexpected things, whether they're working inside of the house or outside of the home. When there's a lot of unexpected things, we need flexibility. We need to, we, if, if our, if we, if we aim for a perfect bullseye every time and our life has a lot of, you know, chaos or unexpected events, then we're not going to be successful. So in, in, in lives, that necessitate flexibility and pivoting, I would suggest that having more of a growth um, or learning goal is going to better put you in a successful place than the other. Okay. Well, I need to do that because I am definitely one of chaos. <laughs> uh, okay. Now in, in your book, you, you talk about um, the experience of feeling good when building a new behavior. What does that mean? What is the takeaway for that? Sure. Research shows that positive feelings, you know, there's a technical term called affect, but that positive experiences, positive feelings motivate us. In fact, it's such a powerful motivator that it motivates us outside of our conscious awareness. So when I'm talking about experiencing positive feelings from a behavior, what I'm trying to do is help individuals tap into this natural neuroscience of reward and motivation that we already have in our brain. And so what feeling good means is going to be different for everyone. So for example, if we're talking about, um, you know, getting more sleep, what is feeling good? What is feeling good? How would you define that? Is it feeling more rested? Is it having a better mood? If we're talking about feeling good from exercise, is it a sense of just complete release, challenge, being social with your friends, relaxing, working so hard that you want to drop. I mean, there's, everyone has different experiences that would feel good. So what we want to do is we want to help your listeners think more deeply about what kind of positive feelings could I get? from these different healthy behaviors. And, you know, I have to say, especially when it comes to exercise, 
or even eating, people say, well, I don't notice that I feel better when I take a walk, or I don't notice how I feel when I might eat vegetables. And that's a really valid response. And, you know, the reason is, is because as a society, we haven't asked people until now to start thinking about, well, how do these behaviors actually make me feel? So I I want the listeners not to feel concerned if they don't notice how they feel, or even if they feel bad, um, because this is an opportunity to start doing some own the, some research in their own lives and experiment with different ways of doing things and just try to notice and have more awareness in terms of, well, how, how do I feel when I take this work walk uh, outside in a beautiful setting, say, versus how do I feel when I choose to stay at my computer and, you know, try to get my inbox down to zero, which, you know, is almost an impossible task right. <laughs> on any given day. And and we really, I mean, we have to give it time too. We can't just, you know, eat vegetables one day and expect to feel like a champion. I mean, it does. Sometimes it takes you two weeks to a month to start to feel the effects, right? Absolutely. And more and sometimes more. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, when we're trying to uh, start to build these good habits, would you say that you should be like adding good habits or should we be removing bad habits? Uh, you know, some people, we always talk about the, you get a Big Mac, but you order the Diet Coke or you get a pizza, but you, you eat a salad and, you know, with it is that, what do you say is the right thing to do? Do we add or do we take away? You know, I, I, I want to, I wouldn't say I want to take the fifth on that, but <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, it depends. It, it depends on, really the point that we're talking about. So for example, um, depending on how, how much desire you have for something, let's say like a Coke, is it going to be more helpful to cut back instead of just completely take it off the table? Um, and, or add a sparkly water, um, in, and, and instead of it. So this is where the notion of experimentation can be really helpful because people, it's going to depend. And I, and I think there, it's really important for each person to figure out and to explore, well, which is going to work better for me. There isn't, there isn't a blanket truism when it comes to this question. Um, but, but another, another thing where one thing that we do know, let's, let's take um, a step back from a, a change within a specific behavior. We do know that replacing, so like adding exercise when you're trying to take away smoking, that's an example where both adding something to help you remove it is helpful. So it's kind of complicated and it depends. Okay. Well, I kind of like that. You know, there's some flexibility. It's not like this rigid thing that we have to stick to. Uh, you mentioned smoking, uh, addiction, smoking, alcohol. How, how do you address those things uh, versus bad habits? I mean, are there common or different concepts? That's a great question. And for sure, there are going to be um, specific, um, the latest knowledge on different types of addictions. That is definitely not what I do research on. But I, I have to say, I've seen in my reading of the literature, some mm -hmm. um, science that suggests that the notion of feelings is actually helpful for something with an addiction like smoking. So wait, let me ask you a question. 
Do you think if someone, if a smoker was trying to quit smoking, do you think if they were asked to pay attention, to deeply notice their craving for the cigarette, do you think that would help them or hurt their ability to quit smoking? Oh, gosh. Uh, hmm. <laughs> That's a great question. I never thought of that. Um, I mean, I would imagine that it, it could probably, I don't know. What, Is there a right answer to this? <laughs> well, the, the research that I've read suggests that when you help smokers really feel their cravings, like in a mindful, non-judgmental way as part of the process of quit smoking, it actually, the groups that, you know, when they've done randomized trials, looking at this question, the groups that have been taught to do that actually do a better job quitting long-term than groups okay. that have not been. It, it's counterintuitive because you'd think, well, if people are really focusing on how they feel, isn't that going to prevent them? It's going to have a stronger draw, but right. I think it depends if you're coming at it from a mindful, non-judgmental, I'm trying to really notice and experience this. Maybe then it can't, it won't have the same power over you because you've studied it in a way. So that's, you know, that's how I'm coming to think of it. So that, so that is ties back to our previous conversation when you asked about feelings and how, and the role that plays in changing behavior. So I, I do think that having a deep awareness of how um, behaviors make us feel, whether it's our craving for them or how it makes us feel, especially if it leaves us with a negative feeling afterwards, as well as um, if, it, if we feel positive afterwards, having that type of awareness is very important data that can help us change our behavior. And, it, and, in, and in some ways it can even help us unconsciously. Right. Okay. Now, when you're coaching someone or you're trying to help someone through these process, these things, how do you find that you best connect with people to help motivate that change? Well, it starts with um, helping people uh, understand why they haven't been successful to date and, mm -hmm. and also what they're hoping to get from the change they want to make. Um, I, I, I think it's really helpful to understand also people's relationship with the behavior that they're trying to change. So in, in my book, I ask a question, I have a scale called chore to gift. And I, that's how I start my coaching with people. So for example, if someone wants to learn how to exercise in ways they can stick with for the rest of their lives, the, the whole beginning of that process begins with me asking them, does exercise feel like a chore deep down to you? Not intellectually, but in your gut, does it feel like a chore or a gift? And I, most people will say, and they'll, they'll, they'll give me a, between a one and a two on that five point scale, which is the chore side of the scale. And that's a window in to their relationship with exercise. And you can do this with any behavior. And so then the next question is, well, do you tend to exercise in ways that don't feel good? And that is another diagnostic because people to stick with a behavior like exercise, the research shows that it's that people need to experience positive um, feelings during the behavior. If people feel that it's a punitive activity, if they feel like they're being punished when they exercise, to the to to a great extent, they will not be able to stick with it. So what we want to do is diagnose what has been getting in their way. What is their relationship with exercise? What is the relationship with eating certain things? And that is how we then 
help clients get into a, a new direction. Okay, got it. Now, what would you say your strategy or your recommendation is to communicate the diversified areas to change these behaviors? I mean, for example, would you communicate differently for someone who maybe wants to lose weight to surf better or uh, versus someone who wants to lose weight to maybe manage diabetes? And then does the frequency or the method change? So we always, that's a great example because people do have underlying reasons why they do things. And it's very important to understand, you know, the why under the why. And and those are two really great examples. And then, yes, what we want to do is not just communicate in ways that will resonate with people's underlying whys, but we also want to link the reason to their daily lives, their roles and goals and and most cherished aspects of living. Um, And so we want in our communication with people to tie their whys for their behavior change with how it's going to help them live and feel ideally in in the day and not in the future because, because uh, behavioral economics research shows us that human beings are much more motivated by rewards that they're going to experience in the now immediately compared to rewards in the future. So that's another thing about communicating with individuals. We want to tap into how the behaviors are going to make them feel today, because that is truly what's going to be most compelling. Right. So that way we don't start the same diet tomorrow <laughs> because that's, I mean, that's, right. that's really what it comes down to. Right. And it's like, we gotta, we gotta find something that's gonna make us feel really good today. Okay. Um, right. now in, in your book, you actually, we're talking a lot about, you know, exercise, the behavior change for exercise, but can the same methodology apply to other facets of wellness, you know, like nutrition or financial, spiritual, mental? Absolutely. So in no sweat, I, I, the book is organized around the behavior change framework um, called MAPS. And I'm going to just briefly tell you what each part of MAPS means because it will be really clear how you can use it for other behaviors too. So MAPS stands for meaning, awareness, permission, and strategy. So what is the underlying meaning of the behavior? We already talked about the meaning from a chore to a gift. What is the underlying meaning of meditating or of prayer or of trying to get more sleep? Is it something that you feel like you should do? Is it something you deeply want to do because you want to live your life better? So that's what meaning stands for. And as you can see, everything has a meaning. Um, Because awareness, uh, what beliefs do you have about that behavior? Um, Are those beliefs facilitating a perfectionistic mindset that's going to actually, you know, shoot you in the foot? Is it are your beliefs um, related to experiences that you've had or beliefs that society tells you are true that you've actually found are not true? So awareness is really becoming both aware about the beliefs as well as aware of what are the challenges that confront you on a daily basis to making this change. And then permission is a much broader, deeper, wider concept. And this is where we're going beyond the specific behavior, whether it's spirituality or smoking cessation or saving for the future to this underlying notion of, do you give yourself permission to prioritize 
your own needs, your own sense of well-being, because ultimately, whatever behavior we're trying to change, it is a self-care behavior. And so on a completely different level, if we don't value and respect and protect the self-care behaviors we want to change, then that can undermine what we're trying to do. Um, and then strategy is the... It, um, strategy is the last part. And that is the tactics. That's the logistics. It, it reflects the learning process of, okay, this is how I think I'm going to do it. This is the growth um, mindset, the, the, the learning goal I'm going to set. And then the strategy is, okay, how did it go? What got in his way? What can I try next time? So it's really about experimenting and it's the tactical aspect. And, and as you can see, the maps applies across any behavior. This is a wealth of information, and I feel like we need to go back and dissect it even more. How can people get a hold of your book? They can get it. Um, some uh, independent bookstores carry it also on Amazon. Th that's a place where a lot of people get the book. Okay. That again is called No Sweat, How the Simple Science of Motivation Can Bring You a Lifetime of Fitness. Dr. Seeger, thank you very much for joining us today and really just sharing all of this information, this knowledge. You know, I, I think this will help a lot of people kind of boost them into that, that place they want to be once again. Thanks. It's my pleasure. All right. Well, Dr. Seeger has been helping us connect the dots today on resilience, motivating, lasting change. Connecting the dots is a UHA sponsored podcast. For more from Michelle Seeger, you can check out Michelle's recorded UHA webinar at uhahealth.com forward slash webinars. With COVID-19 around, telehealth lets you see your physician while keeping you safe at home. If you have questions, we're here to help. Stay safe, take care of each other, and use telehealth. We're UHA Health.